today on Ag News Daily. At every turn, there's great cheese in the Midwest and all across the country. We're producing great products. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, joining you all once again from Bozeman, Montana. I am flying out this afternoon to head back home. Got to take Market to Market tomorrow. Got Sue Martin on the show for any Market to Market listeners or watchers out there. But I had a great conference today, a lot of great discussions with folks in the Montana banking industry. And it is fascinating to me. Last night, I had a discussion with the president or CEO, I'm not sure which title he was there for the Montana Bankers Association, just discussing the consolidation that they've seen in this industry alone in Montana and how it really parallels the consolidation we see in a lot of entities or industries within agriculture, within the dairy industry, within um, within some of the other industries we see and just people either selling out or working to grow bigger and just really interesting discussions that I've had today. But going to have a dairy-focused discussion with Shelly Mayer, who's the executive director for the Professional Dairy Producers. They just finished up their big conference here in Madison, Wisconsin last week. So chatting dairy today for all our dairy producer listeners. Gary Rasmussen, this podcast is right here, right for you. So we've got a lot going on in the news as well, but just a wanted to share a quick update there about what today's podcast is about and I hope everybody enjoyed yesterday's episode chatting about African swine fever. I read another article today that one I mentioned on Reuters uh, that is titled piles of pigs swine fever outbreaks go unreported in rural China. So some big highlights from this one that at least I took down some notes I just pulled out here. Um, The first one that was a surprise to me is China does not permit the commercial sale of African swine fever test kits, though some are potentially available, maybe on the black market, it doesn't say exactly, but official confirmation must come from a state-approved laboratory, meaning they have to get those folks coming to, those state officials coming to their operations, testing them. Those are the only ways to 100% assure that it's going to be reported by the government. However, We've seen a lot of discrepancies. This article in particular talked about how some uh, more commercialized dairy, or excuse me, pork production places in China were doing self-tests and were getting different results than what the Chinese government was getting. So in some cases, Chinese officials would test herds two, three, four times to get a negative result. And essentially, it sounds like throw out the positive results. And in one northern case just last year, local officials declined to even carry out a test. Another case in the Shandong province, official test results came back negative despite many clinical symptoms that strongly pointed to African swine fever and a positive test result obtained by that company itself. So this is apparently a very sensitive issue. Um, once an African or once an outbreak of African swine fever is confirmed, all the pigs on that farm, as well as any within a 1.8 mile radius, must be culled and disposed of according to Chinese law. And then farmers receive a subsidy from the government of about $180 per culled pig. But another piece of this African swine fever puzzle is the, uh, and I think part of the reason that the government is sometimes uh, showing negative results instead of positive is. 
because sometimes the government can be strapped for cash, avoiding compensation payments could be an incentive not to report the disease. So just a lot of really interesting pieces to this puzzle. Another quick piece of news or, or relation to this that I read in the article was analysts are forecasting that pig production in China, which accounts for about half of the world's pork, or which, excuse me, which eats about half of the world's pork, could fall more than what it did in 2006 during the blue ear epidemic, which has been one of the worst disease outbreaks in recent years for the hog industry, with some expecting now a decline of up to 30% in 2019. Just really fascinating stuff. So again, folks, I would encourage you to read up as much as you possibly could on African swine fever, especially that article that Betsy Fries wrote in this other one here now. Piles of pigs, swine fever outbreaks go unreported in rural China. Again, that was on the Reuters website. So interesting stuff, I tell you what. Well, in not so maybe pleasant news, we've seen quite a bit more news come out now about the flooding going on in parts of Iowa, Western Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, etc. According to an eight-page disaster declaration request filed by the Nebraska state officials, preliminary estimates are putting agricultural losses at this point in time from flooding and blizzards near the $1.5 billion mark. And state officials said that this number will and will continue to rise as more detailed assessments are completed. Um, losses to agriculture are already being felt due to it being calving season. Thousands of livestock have perished due to extreme cold weather, followed by blizzard conditions, and now followed by extreme flooding. The loss of water supplies in many areas. I was talking to Josh Swatos, who's going to be on the podcast with me tomorrow, I believe. And he was saying in parts of northern Nebraska, and Josh is located in Yankton, South Dakota, who was also hit. But he said, you know, in parts of northern Nebraska, they've been sending bottles of water to those folks because they're expected to be without running water for three to six weeks. So no brushing your teeth, no showering, let alone drinking water for yourself and your livestock. So just really, again, I think all we can do here is keep those folks in our thoughts and prayers. Maybe if you can make monetary donations to the Nebraska Cattlemen's Association or the Nebraska Department of Agriculture, but Nebraska Cattlemen's Association has estimated that feedlot and cow-calf operations have lost about $400 million in livestock at this point. And this is crazy to me. Increased transportation costs from infrastructure lost are hitting feedlots to the tune of $1 million a day. So in addition to that, feedlots have lost about $36 million in feed supplies. On the cropping side of things, we're estimating now about $440 million. And as of Wednesday morning, about 375 miles of state roads remain closed in the state of Nebraska. So a lot of areas still you know, being affected, getting in and out of those parts. And we've seen uh, national emergencies declared in Nebraska, Iowa, and Missouri, a large swath of Missouri as well. And another concern is that the Missouri River will cause more flooding to move downstream. Um, a, a string of small Missouri towns are preparing for that deluge along the raging Missouri River next week or, or late this week. So we're seeing dams and 
other areas being impacted by floods cresting. St. Joseph, Missouri is expecting to see some crest, some waters crest on Friday morning. Kansas City as well. Really not a good not a good deal here for a lot of rural America. So we're continuing to keep those people in our thoughts and prayers for sure. And again, if folks, if you're interested in donating to some of those organizations, especially in Nebraska, we posted some links yesterday on the globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily uh, pages there on yesterday's podcast episode. There's some direct links there to see how you can get involved and help some of those people that have been really stricken by the floods going on. Well, the Federal Reserve appears to be keeping interest rates flat for the rest of this year. It's a major change from what they were originally predicting back in December, uh, forecasting two different interest rate hikes. But the Federal Reserve said on Wednesday they sent a clear signal that raising interest rates is likely off the table for the rest of this year. So we'll see how the Trump administration and specifically President Trump reacts to that. I know he wanted to see maybe uh, interest rates continuing to be uh, adjusted there. So again, another thing to watch. Um, Related to trade news, we uh, might potentially see fruits and tractors could be on the EU's tariff list if President Trump moves forward with a 25% duty on European cars and auto imports, declaring that, you know, again, a national state, a national emergency of the state and putting on those tariffs on those auto products. Um, But the EU officials are expected to hit President Trump where it hurts if we do see him or the administration put on another round of tariffs on EU goods. One other quick piece of news here before we get over to the markets, and that is related to the EPA and E15 industry. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is likely to issue partial waivers to some of the 39 small refineries seeking relief from the National Biofuels Law for 2018. Uh, According to two sources familiar with the issue, The EPA is still deciding on its pending 2018 exemptions that were filed in by the end of March here or had to be filed, excuse me, by the end of March here. So again, we could see some people in the ethanol industry getting a little upset there, uh, seeing if they do indeed go through with some of those other refiner waivers or a partial waiver. I'm not 100% sure what a partial waiver would look like, maybe just some of the blending fuel requirements get uh, get forgiven there. Not 100% sure what that one could look like, but another thing on the radar for those folks in the uh, ethanol industry in particular. So that's a little quick wrap-up here of the news. Before I jet off heading back to Iowa, let's take a look at where the soybean and corn markets left us, especially today. They had a little bit of excitement. Of course, our markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group. Give them a call today at 312-277-0050 and learn how their strategies can help protect your bottom line. You can visit them anytime online as well at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com. All right, folks, I lied to you. I'm not getting my markets pulled up right now. Um, last I checked, soybeans were up about four cents on the day, corn up about four, three or four cents. Wheat was about up a penny. The exciting news that I did see before my markets uh, decided to quit working for today was hogs. They had another great day, a limit up day. Who knows? African swine fever is now pulling on the books. Uh, We've seen exports increase to China. A lot of things going on in the hog industry, and that's for sure. If you're a hog producer right now, you might have a little bit of optimism in the markets. But 
Again, today's conversation is dairy-focused, and I'm chatting with Shelly Mayer, who is the executive director for the Professional Dairies Group there out of Wisconsin. I'm going to turn it over now to my conversation with Shelly. Well, I know we have quite a few dairy producers who listen to the Ag News Daily Podcast, and I've got with me today Shelly Mayer, who's the executive director for the Professional Dairy Producers Association. Shelly, First of all, tell me a little bit about your organization and what you what role you play in the dairy industry. Well, Professional Dairy Producers is a professional development organization for dairy farmers. Um, it is overseen or led by a board of directors, all elected by the membership, all dairy farmers that are active in the business. And I have the privilege of working for them as their executive director and managing the day-to-day operations of the organization. And it's a perfect fit for me because my husband and I are also dairy farmers. Ah, very neat. Do you have a, a hobby dairy farm? Is that a is that a, a, an occupation? <laughs> well, we don't have a, a hobby dairy farm. Okay. We have what I would call a boutique dairy oh, in okay. today's world. A small dairy. We um, farm about 30 miles northwest of Milwaukee. In fact, I can be at Brewer Stadium in about 30 minutes if I want to. So we're really over that urban edge, um, but we farm on my husband's home farm, and I had grown up on a dairy farm and always wanted to farm. So dairying is not only part of my heritage and what my husband and I both after college, what we set out to do, raise our family on a dairy farm, but it's been my life's work. Now, as the professional dairy producers, I know you guys are located in Juneau, Wisconsin, but do you work with dairy producers outside of the state of Wisconsin? Absolutely. We have members that actually come from 32 states um, with the core of our membership, partly because of our heritage of starting in Wisconsin in 1992. Most of our membership, the critical mass is here in the West, but we have dairymen that come from all over um, last year, and a lot of it has to do with the um, wide variety and the, the number of programs that we do put on. But last year we put on about 84 days of educational outreach and so with that kind of a variety of programs in some cases we'll have dairymen that will drive from three states or have um, their team members their partners or the employees come to a meeting that might be held in Wisconsin in other cases they'll come to one of our national meetings for example managers academy is always held in January and it is held intentionally somewhere warm so our Wisconsin delegation and those that come from the, um, the colder climates can go and enjoy a little bit of sunshine and um, executive management training in the winter. And in that case, we pick up um, new members every year that get exposed to the program level that PDPW puts on. And that's how we grow our membership is through word of mouth, um, through reputation of the quality of programs that they can't get anywhere else. And when we bring a a program close to um, someone. And the nice thing is that we have great retention. Um, Typically, once people have experienced PDPW, professional dairy producers, and the programming and the networking and all the great ideas that they can take home and apply to their business, they stay members, and that's how we've grown throughout the years. That's awesome. And to think 84 different days where you're doing educational seminars, and that kind of leads me right in here. You just recently had a conference in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Tell me a little bit about some of the topics that were on the agenda there and what what got accomplished or maybe presented to dairy producers present. Oh, we had a 
in two days. It it is just the most dynamic, high energy program, and the secret ingredient that comes with that is the culture and also the the members of what PDPW members bring when they come into that conference. Now this year, every year the conference is a little bit different. We build it from the ground up every single year, and it's based on the guidance of our dairy farmers that are a part of a committee, and they give us ideas and they point us in directions that they want us to go and topics they want us to cover. But just to give you a thumbnail of what um, this year's conference entailed, it was 50 presenters, speakers, panelists, that were a part of the two-day programs, and we had 43 sessions. So there's something for those that prefer to work animal side and hands-on. We had um, things like necropsies where you could see what was going on in the inside of the animal, where we were talking about some of the new research and science, um, to soil science where we talked about keeping um, reducing uh, runoff and talked about water quality, and we had rainwater simulators there that showed us what happens when the rain is coming on different kind of cover crops. So we were learning about ecology and uh, soil science to a lot of our higher level business um, programming that would look at more of the finances of day-to-day management, um, some nutrition, a lot of HR, um, how to transition the business, conflict resolution, um, to some inspiration, motivation, a little bit of everything. And the coolest thing is what you learn from one another. Oh, a little bit over 1,250 people for this conference, dairy farmers. And it's those hallway conversations that ring the strongest with me as a dairy farmer. If I can just hear or take home one little solution or tip that a, another fellow dairy producer, I mean, who's more creative? And Absolutely. Finding out new ways than mm-hmm. a fellow farmer, <laughs> and we, and just the sharing that goes on, having an opportunity to grab a cup of coffee and sit down and connect with a new friend or an old friend, but someone who understands you, gets you, who walks in the same shoes that you do every single day, regardless if you have a hundred cows or you have ten thousand cows. We're managing resources, we're leading people, we love cows, we're producing food, and we're running a business. And, oh, by the way, we have families and lives. Mm-hmm. They get us. Yeah. It's, it's just I come away from business conference with my cup full again. And this year it's been a hard pull. Yeah. It's been a really, like, three or four years of hard pull. Mm-hmm. But we come together and I feel like I got enough juice that I can pull this out. I can keep going as a dairy farmer, and that's that's what we um, that's what we get out of coming together. Well, the business. and Shelley, that that leads me to my next question. You look at the networking side of things, and that's great. That's really positive for the dairy industry. But what else is there to be excited for in the dairy industry? We've had a couple of tough years. We're sitting in a period where there's a lot of milk production, a lot of milk supply available. Is there anything to be excited about as a dairy producer? I think the the thing that I'm reminded is there's some products that have come out of the market that are that are doing well at getting people to look again at milk. Um, at every turn, there's great cheese in the Midwest and all across the country. We're producing great products. The world looks to America and specifically America's Dairyland for the, where you come to learn about the purest and the best food safety and food products. And that's what I remember, and that's what I heard. I mean, we still are the hub of innovation 
and where the world looks to to do business. So the whole world of dairy right now is a tough place to be. Um, But those are the things that I was left with. The other thing that I'm reminded as I looked around at the PDPW Business Conference, the average age of the folks that come to our programming is about 40. That's pretty good. That's pretty young in agriculture. We've got new faces, new people coming all the time. And part of it is our programming with the Cornerstone um, Dairy Academy, which is a leadership, a, three, a three-track leadership program that we do, and some of our youth programs, our mentor program, our internship programs. There's some feeders. We think it's our job to encourage the next generation. And I think the most thing is when you get together with folks and you can take home one idea or one way of looking at a challenge that you have on your business. That's what I was after. And then I feel good about it, recognizing that I can't change the milk price, but honing in on that 1%, those thousand things that I can do 1% better, that may help me out. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things. We can look at that glass as being half full or half empty. That seems like such an old um, adage, but it is really, really true right now. And mm-hmm. I listen to Dave Cole, and I'm reminded that the world still wants our product. Absolutely. Um, the dollar is strong, yep. and there's a lot of choices out there. But they want, if they had the opportunity, they want the gold standard. And you know what? I make it. I know <laughs> how to make that product, and so do the dairy farmers that I network with and mm-hmm. work with. And, man, we're in a good place. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Shelly, one question I wanted to ask We've had quite a few producers uh, reach out to us and ask, you know, what are the differences this year with some of those dairy subsidy programs? We, of course, have the Dairy Protection Program or MPP, um, but what are some of the changes to the new programs being presented to dairy producers as part of the 2018 Farm Bill? You know, Delaney, I can't talk a lot about that because of all the, I mean, I'm not the the resource on a lot of that, but... um, there's opportunities always in the marketplace. I know I've talked to some dairymen that did some hedging um, and sold, have sold some of their milk and have done some hedging. And then, of course, there's the Revenue Protection Program. And, um, you know, they've none of those tools are the silver bullet, but right. we have some opportunities to do some, some of the price protection that we haven't had before. You know, and when it comes down to it, um, the best resource you can have is to know what your costs are and to get your hands around the financial side of it, that financial literacy and being able to manage the numbers. And as Dave Cole talked about at the business conference, it's, you know, we always have that saying that, oh, don't sweat the little stuff. But in the dairy business, it is sweating the little things, those details. It is knowing your numbers, knowing your cows. And then focusing in on the things that you can control that is still your best risk management. Absolutely. That makes sense. Uh, Shelly, one final question for you. As you look at the outlook of the dairy industry here, the next five years, we've had some maybe more bleak years for the dairy industry. And as you mentioned, a lot of people turn to the United States still for that gold ticket or gold standard. But what's the outlook of the dairy industry? Any, any reason to see some changes here in milk pricing or any new things coming down the pipeline that dairy producers should be aware of? I think all of us are um, trying to figure out what's in the tea leaves. Um, you know, just in Wisconsin, I heard reports this last week that we were up 2% on, on production. 
Um, we know how to get milk out of cows and um, some of those kind of things, and we've learned how to really um, manage the things that we can within the, the dairy business. Um, I think a lot of it is now, I mean, who would have talked 20 years ago about so much of um, NGOs, non-government organizations, um, how they were having an impact, consumers, the, what the consumer wants, how nimble are we as an industry to be able to meet those consumer demands. Um, so the outlook will be, it's a little bit different world. Dave Cole and others keep talking about this the new the the new economy or the complete readjust that we have, um, I think there's going to be some things that are going to remain the same. We have to take care of the cow. We have to take care of our neighbor and our land space and be a good neighbor because that can drive up our cost of production. The new place is the world. The rest of the world is starting to make a lot more milk. How can our product remain the gold standard, and where are the new products that our industry needs to come up with, I think is going to determine a lot of what's in the future. Um, as, a, as a dairy farmer, um, the word size, I'm still in the belief that if it's 10,000 cows or if it's, a diff, you know, if it's 100 cows or 1,000 cows, that it is finding your niche, doing what you do best, knowing your numbers, and being um, able to ride with the tide. We talk a lot about pressure testing, you know, how much pressure can our businesses take. And I don't think anybody really saw this downturn lasting this long. So when we come out of it, those of us that are in this business, taking the lessons that we've learned, uh, we should have some confidence of how strong we are when things do start to stabilize a little bit and hopefully see all the opportunity and be able to ride it into a bright future. Absolutely awesome. Shelly, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Again, a big thank you to Shelly. Interesting stuff there. I like boutique dairy. That's an interesting term I've never heard before, but I love it. I love the boutique idea of, uh, and I think that attracts you know, consumers or, or works well to reach out to other consumers. But folks, if you want to reach out to us at Ag News Daily, you have things that we should be covering, please find us on social media, on Facebook and Twitter at Ag News Daily. And with that, tomorrow we're going to do another Friday special edition with guest host Chad Ingalls. So do stay tuned for that. I'll see you all right back here with Chad tomorrow. Mm-hmm.